This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Tuesday. We are back doing pulmonary questions. Daphna, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. I like pulm questions. They're fun. I feel like we can reason our way through them most of the time. Rolling my Not eyes. all the time. Not all the time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, I guess I'm next in asking you the following question since you left us off yesterday. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to skip question 56. Okay. And, and I'm going to go to question 57, Daphna. Fine. All right. That's a short one. Which of the following respiratory parameters is decreased in neonates compared to adults? Which of the following oh. respiratory parameters is decreased in neonates compared to adults? Which, by the way, is kind of how the questions on the board look like. Yeah. If you're doing the AAP Neo Reviews Plus, whatever they're called, they have a very, very long stem. But And while they're excellent questions, I am not discrediting the questions at all, but the format is more like this, like very short segment, very short stem and just like a question. Um, so I just, just thought I would mention that. So which of the following respiratory parameters is decreased in neonates compared to adults? A, alveolar ventilation. B, dead space. C, Functional residual capacity, D, minute, minute, oh, minute, minute, minute <laughs> ventilation. Yeah, minute en français, it's just <laughs> tough, but minute ventilation and E, vital capacity. Okay, so we are looking for... Um, Look for that graph with the wavy, the old little <laughs> waves. Yeah, the, the one. Which one is decreased in neonates? And actually, like a lot of things are increased in neonates compared to adults, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, decreased. I remember that the minute ventilation is increased because mostly that the respiratory rate is so much mm -hmm. faster. Thus, I feel like alveolar ventilation is also increased. Um. And there's something about the elasticity of the neonatal chest and um, I think increased functional residual capacity. Dead I, space. I, I'm going to share, share with you my yeah. screen. Uh -huh. I, you have I, a, I have a little graph. I love a graph. Yeah. Oh, I like that graph a lot. I've not seen this graph. All right, yeah. you're giving me you're giving me that the answer here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it looks like the. So what's great is that I'm showing Daphna a little uh -huh. uh, waveform of neonatal lung function compared to adult, uh -huh. and what's interesting is that you can see that number one. Let's summarize some of the things. The tidal volume is basically how much air you're breathing mm -hmm. in, how much air you're breathing out mm -hmm. when you're not stressed, just at baseline. 
And then you have your reserved your, your reserve volume, which is your inspiratory or expiratory reserve volume, which means that if you had to take a very, very deep breath, how much could you take in? And so that's when mm -hmm. you see the wave really going much higher up yeah, and then going further, exactly, yeah. or going much further down. And even then, after past the residual, the reserve volume, there is still some uh there is the reserve volume there's still a bit of long volume that's not being used called residual volume mm -hmm. now the residual volume is whatever is excluded in what's called the vital capacity which is like yeah. how much actually can you use to be to be vital which is to live um and what's interesting is that you can see how the when we're looking at the volume the tidal volume in terms of uh volume per kilo in ml per kilo you can see that the curve doesn't really change as you as you grow up, um, and and the the delta is pretty much similar. However, the vital capacity is dramatically larger mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. in the adult, much smaller in the baby. And I think uh, we can post this on a, on the Twitter uh, channel. I think I took this from one of the of the neonatal physiology textbooks. Yeah, I like but, it. Yeah, but. The the answer is that yeah the the vital capacity is the is the answer, uh, respiratory rate, residual volume, minute ventilation, alveolar ventilation are increased in neonates compared to adults. However, tidal volume, total lung capacity, inspiratory capacity, and vital capacity are decreased in neonates compared to adults. Measures of dead space and functional residual capacity are similar between uh -huh. the two. So I think uh, if you uh, have that, uh, you'll see. And it's not hard to understand that the tidal volume, while in ml per kilo, is relatively similar. But like, right. if you're actually looking at the actual volume in ml, then it's, it's much higher. Uh, mm -hmm. The lung capacity is much higher in adult, yes. And the inspiratory capacity is, is um, increased. Uh, so yeah, vital capacity... Um, and the vital capacity is also increased. Uh, yeah, in I like this because you can, it really outlines which ones are kind of similar. Yeah. And which ones are yeah. increased. I like okay. it. All right, you're up. All right, pulmonary question 58. Inhaled nitric oxide is a pulmonary dilator that primarily activates which of the following enzymes? Is it A, guanylate cyclase, B, phosphodiesterase 3, C, phosphodiesterase Five. Is it D, protein kinase G, or is it E, nitric oxide synthase? Um, I thought I was paying attention. Mm. Let me see. Uh, question F, uh, uh, nitric oxide. Um, I think... Oof. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm tired. I'm, I cannot remember the exact process, but guanylate <laughs> okay. uh, cyclase is, is, is my answer. Phosphodiesterase three, we said usually milrinone. Phosphodiesterase five, we said sildenafil. Um, nitric oxide synthase is, is the endogenous. I think it's endogenous nitric oxide. And I don't, protein kinase G, I don't, that doesn't ring a bell. So, so guanylate cyclase is my answer. That's correct. Uh, nitric oxide is a small molecule that is produced endogenously by nitric oxide synthase from L-arginine. And when administered exogenously, exogenously via inhalation, nitric oxide enters the alveoli. It diffuses across the alveolar wall to endothelial cells. And there it binds to a hemoidy of soluble guanylate cyclase that helps to generate cyclic GMP from GTP. 
And cyclic GMP increases calcium efflux via multiple mechanisms, including the protein kinase G pathways, leading to vascular smooth muscle relaxation. So nitric oxide comes in, it uh, creates cyclic GMP, cyclic GMP increases calcium efflux, and we have vascular smooth muscle relaxation. The action of cyclic GMP is blocked by a number of things like phosphodiesterases, such as uh, phosphodiesterase 5 that hydrolyzes soluble cyclic GMP to GM, back to GMP. Um, inhibition of phosphodiesterase uh, 5 by drugs like sildenafil also result in pulmonary vasodilation. And we remember that it's phosphodiesterase 5 because the 5 looks like an S in sildenafil, uh-huh. right? Yep. Also with the other phosphodiesterase 3 uh, is involved in hydrolyzing cyclic AMP to AMP and its inhibition by drugs like milrinone result as well in systemic vasodilation and afterload reduction. And we remember uh, phosphodiesterase 3 because the 3 looks like an M on the side. So 3 uh, is targeted by milrinone, 5 is targeted by sildenafil, um, nitric oxide uh, targets guanylate cyclase. Okay? Very cool. Question 59. Daphne, an infant is delivered by spontaneous vaginal delivery at 39 weeks gestation. The labor is complicated by meconium staining the amniotic fluid. And at delivery, the infant cries spontaneously, has, however, increased work of breathing and remains cyanotic in appearance. You give supplemental oxygen and the baby is transferred to the NICU. In the NICU, the O2 sat on the right hand reads 84%. And the infant is noted to desaturate even further when crying. You suspect the infant has persistent pulmonary hypertension, Mm. also known as PPHN. Which of the following statements about the diagnosis of PPHN is false? Choice A. um, So we're looking for the false statement about PPHN. A pre- and post-ductal PaO2 gradient of 20 milliliters of mercury millimeters of mercury indicates the presence of PPHN. A left-sided obstructive cardiac lesion can cause a pre-postductal saturation differential in the absence of PPHN. Man, these entrance sources are tough. tough. A reverse differential occurs when there is PPHN associated with levotransposition of the great artery, LTGA. Choice D, PPHN can occur even in the absence of a pre-postductal saturation differential. Choice E, the classical triad clinically associated with PPHN is pre-postductal saturation differential, labile systemic oxygenation, and an oxygenation index of greater than 15. I'm assuming you're going to break these down again, but uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, Let's see. The first answer is... True. I mean, a pre and post ductal uh, PO2 gradient of 20 um, can definitely identify PPHN. Uh, a left sided obstructive cardiac lesion can cause pre and post ductal saturation differential in the absence of PPHN. So, yeah, PPHN is not the only thing that causes uh, pre and post ductal saturation differential. So, that's a true statement. 
uh, a reverse differential occurs when there is PPHN associated with LTGA. Careful there. Be careful there. Our <laughs> LTGA is our congenitally corrected TGA, right? So the one that's on the down. Do they have? But do they have a reverse differential in the face of PPHN? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Let me come back to that. Uh, PPHN can occur in the absence of a pre and postductal saturation differential. Absolutely. Um, it's not totally ruled out, especially if there's no duct, I guess, is, is a reason. And then the classic clinical triad associated with PPHN is a pre and postductal saturation differential. Yeah. Lability of systemic oxygenation. Yeah. Just like described in the question stem and an OI of greater than 15. That would definitely make me think that um, PPHN is on the differential. So I guess I have to go with C. C, which was that a reverse differential occurs when there's PPHN associated with LTGA. And mm-hmm. that would be the incorrect statement. Mm-hmm. Then you are right, my friend. You picked the, the correct statement. That was the correct answer. But I'm not totally PP- sure why. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about it then. So PPHN occurs in approximately uh, 2% of life births at term gestational age in the United States. Classically, the affected infants have signs of respiratory distress, hypoxic respiratory failure, typically within the first 12 hours of life. Um, it may be primary, 10% of cases, or secondary. The most, the most common pathology to result in secondary PPHN is meconium aspiration syndrome, which is what mm-hmm. we're seeing in this vignette. And other less commonly associated pathologies include uh, congenital diaphragmatic hernia, pulmonary hypoplasia, severe uh, perinatal depression, infection, and uh, potentially uh, exposure intrauterine to uh, medications or toxins. The features of PPHN include a pre- to postductal difference in saturation of more than 5% to 10%, or a PAO2 difference of uh, 20 millimeters of mercury or more. Additional clinical features include uh, labile systemic oxygenation, which is the typical feature of like the kid you touch and suddenly they desat basically. Mm-hmm. That's that's what this is describing. And an OI of 15 or more. Um, although this triad is highly suggestive of PPHN to confirm the diagnosis uh, and rule out a cyanotic cardiac defect, an echocardiogram must be performed. Now, to monitor pre- and post-ductal saturation appropriately, the saturation probe must be placed on the right hand, which would be your pre-ductal sat, and either the lower, uh, either one of the lower limbs, which would be a post-ductal sat. The arterial supply of the left upper limb has variable relationship to the ductus, depending on where the ductus really is located, and therefore um, should not be used. Um, it must be remembered that if the ductus is closed, there will be no differential, but PPHN may still be present. And that's why it's always, you need, you need an echo. Uh, you don't treat or intervene on PPHN until you've documented this um, on imaging at the very least. Neonates with pulmonary hypertension and large intracardiac defect with significant intracardiac mixing may not have a pre post-ductal oxygen saturation differential, even in the presence of a PDA. Um, If there is a left-sided obstructive cardiac lesion where the systemic circulation is supplied by the PDA, what that means is that 
the left heart can't like let's say for example a hypoplastic left heart where the left heart really can't do its job and basically all your systemic circulation will come from flow going through the PDA uh after there's mixing and the ex- and extracted by the by the right side of the ventricle there can be differential in saturations without pphn uh therefore echo is required to confirm the diagnosis and lastly the answer choice here reverse differential uh, uh reverse uh, the reverse differential which where the postductal saturations are higher than the preductal saturation is a very classical presentation of tga However, as you correctly mentioned, it's a, it's a classical presentation of DTGA and not LTGA, which is acyanotic. Um, uh, so DTGA uh, concomitantly occurring in the setting of a PDA with either a coarctation slash arch interruption or PHM. So very tricky question, but an interesting one. Okay. And then, um, I wanted to... Hold on, I wanted to do one more thing because we did mention this choice that I wanted to show, which is that, um, right, so we said that the OI of 15 or more, if you're listening, the formula for oxygenation index is one that's easy to remember. We're talking about mean airway pressure times FiO2 over PaO2. MAP times FiO2 over PaO2. That does it for us. Um, I wanted to just say one more thing since we said the term uh, uh, in regards to the LTGA, mm-hmm. the why is it congenitally corrected? Um, so in congenitally corrected TGA or um, LTGA, both ventricles of the heart are reversed, but the arteries are reversed also. So the correct ventricle is going to the correct artery because everything's reversed instead of half of the things being reversed. So the heart kind of quote unquote corrects the abnormal development. And that's why they call it congenitally corrected transposition transposition of the great arteries. So it's the anatomy is not normal. It's not typically developing, um, but it is acyanotic for that reason, because all of the connections are technically kind of correct. Okay. Okay. All right, buddy. All right, buddy. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nikupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.